Well, it is great to be with you this morning and uh, exciting to see all that God continues to do here at your college and around New England. I don't know if you've seen the latest news, uh, but Vermont, uh, is, we were happy to find out that between 2010 and 2020, the number of Bible-believing Christians in Vermont has doubled. Praise God for that. And in the Northeast, which is bigger than just Vermont, but in the Northeast, which you guys are in the center of, uh, it is the only region in the country in which our particular network of churches, the uh, Southern Baptist Convention, is actually growing. The rest of the country is in decline, but here in the Northeast, it's growing. We're the only section that has. There's lots of reasons for that. Obviously, all of them belong to God. God is the one that did all of that. But God uses means. He uses people as means to do His work. And I think one of the reasons why we're seeing that growth in Vermont and the growth in the Northeast is because of the great work of this college. You're up to now, I think it's 500 and something professions of faith. Um, yeah, yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible. Even the prayers, uh, every, every chapel service for the 251 Club, those things make a difference because God answers prayers. So when you see those numbers, those aren't just faraway numbers of some other place. That's your work being rewarded. So thank you for what you're doing here uh, in Vermont and in New England and in the Northeast. You are making a difference. So when the devil whispers in your ear to get you discouraged, just don't listen <laughs> because we're winning. And praise God for that. Well, you know, every day, maybe, maybe not every day, but definitely every week, you turn on the news and you hear another report. Uh, I don't know, some baker has lost his business or some, uh, I don't know, some cake decorator has been sued or some faithful Christian has lost their job in some way because they took a stand for their faith and it cost them something. You know, when I was in college, and it's, I don't even like to think about the age, I swear every year that I get a little older, you guys look a little younger. I don't know how that is. It's somehow something's happening. I don't know. You can go to, you can go to college now at 12? I don't know how that is. But I don't know. I'm kidding, okay? Uh, but we, you know, when, I was, when I was in college, 19, gosh, 86, that's hard, crazy to believe, um, even though a lot of people were not Christians, everyone in the country knew that it was good to be a Christian. It was like a positive thing to be a person of faith, and you couldn't be a politician back in those days if you didn't make a swing to the South, speak at a couple churches, and use God in like a sentence, because that was just, it was positive. You had to be a, it's like a positive force being a Christian in America. That's what it was back in those days. Those days are long since gone. And now, those of us who are Bible-believing, evangelical believers, we're now the strange ones. We're the ones that are on the domestic terrorist list. All right, We're the ones that people are looking at going, those are the nutsos. All right? It's no longer culturally acceptable to be a conservative Christian in America. We are finally at the place where it's going to cost us something to follow Jesus. It's why our churches are smaller. Uh, it's why across the country many people have dropped out of Christianity because it finally started costing them something and they were not willing to pay the price. And yet those of us who remain faithful are seeing a mighty move of God like what we're seeing in Vermont and what we're seeing in the Northeast right now as despite all the odds, as despite all the demographics, despite all the craziness, the numbers say we're growing and we're up and God is doing a great work because that's exactly what God does. But it is going to cost us something to follow Jesus in this world that we're in. Fortunately, that's not a new subject because Jesus talked about it in the first century. It cost them something in the first century to follow Jesus. It's why they were able to turn the world upside down in such a short period of time because people who have to really sacrifice for their faith are much more committed to their faith than those who just have it easy. You're familiar, of course, with Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus was going around calling people to follow him. 
And there in 50, uh, verse 57 of Luke 9, it says, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Let's take a moment and pray for God's word that we just heard that it might change our lives. Lord, we pray in this moment that your Holy Spirit might speak through your word and your word might reveal to us exactly the message we need in this moment that your spirit might apply it to our lives. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. So Jesus is going around and He's calling people to follow Him. He's been doing that for over 2,000 years, calling people to follow Him. There have been times in history in which people listened to the call. There's been times in history when people ignored the call, but He is always calling us to follow Him. When we say that Jesus is calling us to follow Him, well, what does that mean? What is He actually calling us to do? Well, I think there's four things that Jesus is calling us to do. The first one, probably the most obvious, is He's calling us to salvation. Now, we're at a Christian college, and so I'm assuming that probably all of us have answered that call. If not, you, I've got good news. You're in a room full of people. Pick anyone. Close your eyes and just grab somebody, and they can tell you how to answer the call of God to salvation, right? If any school can, this school can, right? Every professor, I bet the janitor can, can't they? Uh, you know, the secretary, anybody. Just pick anybody, you know? We, we obviously have to answer the call of God to salvation. That's the very first call. If we have haven't answered the call of God to salvation. The rest of it's just a bunch of words. It doesn't really help us very much. But I'm assuming in a Christian college we got that one down. But God is calling us to salvation. But God's calling us to more than just be saved. God is calling us to holy living. We call that in Bible talk sanctification. I remember when I was young, we used to talk about that. And there were things we understood the difference between right and wrong and between good and bad. And, and now today, the stuff that we knew clearly was evil back in those days is now you're a hero if you're those things. If you've got all those letters behind your name, you're now the hero. You're the brave one. It's crazy. It's, we, we've turned it upside down and made the wrong right and the right wrong. And sanctification has somehow fallen out of the way. We will never change the world if we do not answer the call of God to holy living and to be sanctified. Not long ago, I was part of a funeral uh, for a businessman. Uh, you know, from, from all indications uh, uh, from those of us who were inside the church, he seemed like a good Christian. Uh, he, you know, was successful in his business and gave lots of money. You know, and so since I raised money for a living, I was like, yeah, I like this guy, right? Anyway, uh, at the funeral, different people shared from the, from the church about his life, and, and, you know, all of those were church people, you know, all sharing kind of the, the church side of his life. After the funeral was over, this lady pulled me aside and said, you know, I've known him for 30 years. She said, I'm his accountant. Uh, he wasn't as Christian as you think he was. And she said, I never knew he went to church. I did not know he was religious. And I thought to myself, how in the world could his accountant, who he'd worked with for 30 years, not know that he was religious? And she was hinting, obviously, that he wasn't very honest in his business dealings. And I thought to myself, no wonder the church is in trouble. Here's a man that inside the church, we all thought he was sanctified. <laughs> Outside the church, he clearly wasn't, and the community knew that. No wonder the church is in trouble. God calls us to salvation, but God also calls us to holy living. And that might make you weird, and that might make you odd, and that might make you strange in your peer group. Just be strange and weird for Jesus, okay? Because we must live holy lives if we want to change the world in which we live. God's also called us 
to serve. Now, I believe there's a vocational calling for pastors, missionaries, you know, certain people that are supposed to be called by God for their job. I experienced that calling when I was 16, and I've tried to be faithful to it to the best of my ability. So I think there's that kind of special calling to serve. But I believe that every Christian is called to serve God in some way because the pastor cannot do what he wants to do. The missionary cannot do what they've been called to do if there's not people standing with them and behind them to make it happen. And so every one of us is called by God to serve in some way. Some called vocationally, but all called to serve. And we definitely are at a time in American Christianity in which we desperately need young people to answer the call of God to serve, both vocationally and just as a great layperson. And I would hope that you would think about that. What is the call of God to serve? Think about this. Let's say you're just going to be a Sunday school teacher. Let's just say that, just a Sunday school teacher. Think about this. I don't know how old you guys are. We give you 18, 19, 20. Let's just say you're all 20. Let's just because the math works out better in my head if I use a round number. Okay, so let's just say you're all 20. And at 20 years of age, you say, I don't think God wants me to be a pastor, but I, I could teach Sunday school. And so you start teaching Sunday school uh, at 20 years of age. All right, so let's just say you do that. You do it for the rest of your life. You're faithful to it until you're in your 80s. That's 60 years of teaching Sunday school. All right, let's say you're on vacation two Sundays a year. Uh, I don't know, you're sick two Sundays a year. And I don't know, two Sundays a year, your pastor's doing some big event. So you teach 40 times a year. I've got to use round numbers because that makes my math work out. All right, you can do other numbers later, okay? That would be 2,400 times you would teach the Bible as just a Sunday school teacher. Some weeks you have five kids in your class five teenagers, five adults. Some weeks you have 10, so let's just make the average seven. I did the math on this one already with my calculator, all right? <laughs> 16,800 people you would have served teaching the Bible as just a Sunday school teacher if you start at 20 years of age. That's like Billy Sunday or Billy Graham or D.O. Moody, right? To be able to teach those kinds of people. We are called to serve, and I hope that at this school, if there's anything you learn, is that it's not just a calling to academics, but it's a calling to serve the Lord starting now and for the rest of your life. Because as just a Sunday school teacher, you could make the same kind of difference as one of the most famous preachers in the country. Uh, a beautiful thought. So God's called us to salvation. God's called us to sanctification. God's called us to serve. But God has also called us to sacrifice. Now, we live in a culture now in which that's not a popular word. You know, we don't want to sacrifice. Uh, you, know, the, you know what American philosophy is? Get all you can, can all you get, and sit on your can. Yeah, that's the American dream. Let's make as much money as we can. Let's figure out how to invest it well. And then about 55 or 60, I'm going to retire, and I'm going to Aruba, and we're having fun. You know, get all you can, can all you get, sit on your can. I don't find that anywhere in the Scripture. The Scripture talks about take up your cross daily and follow Jesus. Scripture talks about how we lay down our lives for the Master. And I don't know anything about retirement. There might be a time when vocationally we have to retire just because of health or energy. But that doesn't mean we quit teaching Sunday school. It doesn't mean we quit telling lost people about Jesus. It doesn't mean we quit serving Jesus. We will always, if we're faithful, be serving all the way to the end. We are called to sacrifice. And we no longer live in a culture that believes or likes sacrifice. Now, I used to live here in, in Vermont, and, and I, I miss Vermont. I was driving over Route 9 yesterday looking at the incredible beauty, and I thought, this is why people move to Vermont. 
But I was also remembering that same road a few years ago, driving through it in a snowstorm, and I was thinking, and that's why people leave Vermont, right? <laughs> you, know, the, you know, it's just an incredible place to live here. Now I live in a suburb of Boston, and don't get me wrong, it's, it's a nice suburb. You know, by God's blessed me to live in a, you know, in a nice neighborhood. It's not a bad neighborhood. Uh, but, but, you know, I, I had a five-bedroom home on an acre and a half of land in Vermont, look over a valley. It was like an old Vermont farmhouse, and it was cool and quirky and cool, you know, quirky coolness. You know, that's Vermont, right? Now I have a two-bedroom apartment, and my view, I do, if, if I look out one window, I do have a view of, the, of a field, which is really cool. I, 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 all the pictures you see on my Facebook page are carefully constructed to show that field. Just don't look on the sides of the field. You know, anyway, uh, you know, it, it's a sacrifice to serve the Lord. I was reading an article the other day, now that I live in the suburb of Boston, you know, I'm learning all kinds of things about life that we didn't really think about it here in Vermont. Uh, I just read this the other day, 5% of all credit card money spent in Boston goes to buy fancy coffee at coffee shops. Now, think about that. Now, I don't want to convict anyone who likes coffee, okay? That's between you and God, okay? That's like the Christian sin that's acceptable, right? Anyway, but when you think about 5% of all the money spent in Boston is on coffee. Hmm, where is sacrifice? Now, here's a piece of uh, trivia you might enjoy do the numbers for our particular denomination. Do you know which state in New England gives the highest per capita to missions through the BC&E? It's not the rich churches in Boston. It's the poor churches in Vermont. Per capita, you give more <laughs> than the people in Boston because they're spending their money on coffee. And I'm not saying anything wrong with coffee, but where's the sacrifice? Where is the I'll do without coffee for a week so I can support someone going on a mission trip to Mexico, right? Where is the sacrifice to say, maybe I'll not go out to dinner at a fancy restaurant. Instead, I'll stay home and have whatever, I don't know, peanut butter and jelly so that I can help the bivocational pastor buy one more box of Bibles. Where's the sacrifice? We don't have that in our culture anymore. Somehow it's gone. God is calling us to that, but we much more like to hear the coffee shop calling. Caffeine is calling my name. So Jesus is calling us to follow him. He's calling us to salvation, to sanctification, to service, and to sacrifice. And, and, and we, 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 like the, we like the salvation part because we all want to go to heaven. We like the sanctification part, sort of, though we're much better at applying it to other people's lives than to our own. Like, they should really live holy lives, right? Um, we like the service part, especially if it makes us feel good, all right, and we don't have to do it for 50 years, right? Like, everyone wants to be a Sunday school teacher once a month instead of every week, you know, you know whatever. You get to the sacrifice part, and hardly anyone likes that. And yet Jesus is calling us to that. How do we respond when our faith calls us to sacrifice? When our faith says, sell your five-bedroom home overlooking a mountain valley and move into a two-bedroom apartment in the suburbs of Boston, when there isn't money to buy coffee because you're a student here, or maybe you're, I should say a professor here because they don't always get paid. I don't know if you know that or not. They don't always get their paychecks on time, right? That's called sacrifice. How do we respond when our faith costs us something? Well, in this scripture, we have three possible responses that the, the, the men gave to Jesus. The first one, Jesus was going along saying, follow me, follow me, follow me. And there was this kid. Maybe, maybe you were this kid in school. Maybe it was your friend. But, but kind of throws his hand at first. Me, 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 me. Pick me, pick me, pick me, pick me, pick me. Remember that kid in school? We won't ask if it was you, all right? That's this kid in verse 57. All right, Jesus is saying, follow me. And he says, pick me, pick me, pick me, pick me. I'll follow you. But Jesus, who has the ability to look through all the excitement and through all the emotion... And through all the energy to the heart, Jesus looks through all that junk to this guy's heart, and he knows 
that this guy is volunteering, but he hasn't really thought it through. You see, he had not yet counted the cost. So he was energetic and he was excited, but he hadn't really thought it through. And Jesus knew that if he didn't think it through, then when the going got tough, he'd be gone. Jesus says to him, dude, I don't even have a place to sleep tonight. And you want to follow me? (laughs) I don't even have a place to put my head tonight. And you want to follow me? You better think it through. Now, was Jesus trying to get him to not follow him? Of course not. He wasn't trying to discourage him from following him. Jesus wanted him to follow him, but he wanted him to think about the cost so that when the going got tough, he didn't quit. That's something we need to think about. We are all eager in our youthful excitement to say, sign me up for Mexico or sign me up for this thing or for that thing. I want to, I want to help. We all volunteer because we, we, we want to be helpful. But then it starts costing us something, and we go, ooh, ooh, I don't know about that. Dunkin' Donuts coffee sure looks good with the extra latte and the caramel salted, salted caramel stuff and that extra foam on top, and they put a little design in it. It's so cool, yo. Begins to cost us something. Jesus is calling us to follow him, but count the cost first. See the sacrifice that will be required and say yes anyway. Just say, I will count the cost. I was doing a little, I'm, I'm only 56, but you get past 55 and you start getting like regular emails from companies that want you to think about retirement. That's what happens, okay? And so now I'm past 55 and so I get these emails. And so I decided to click on one the other day. And so this is, you know, my lucrative retirement from 20 years of ministry in Vermont. Um, I can either start saving 55% of my income for, for retirement that's obviously not realistic. Or I can delay retirement until I'm 82. That's what, the, that's what the calculator said. I thought, okay, let's just hit delete. I don't even need to look at that one. All right. It costs us something. But are we still willing to say yes and follow Jesus? We don't know if this young man was willing or not. What we know is he hadn't counted the cost yet. And Jesus said, count the cost first and then still follow me. We'll look at verse 59. There's another man. Uh, this man says to Jesus, he said, hey, uh, uh, Jesus, I'll follow you, but first got to go bury my father. Now, <laughs> at first glance, that sounds like reasonable, right? Uh, some of you know, I, I assume most of you know, maybe all of you, uh, you know, I've recently lost my wife. Um, she had pancreatic cancer, and so two months and two days ago um, she passed away, and it's been a very challenging time in our life. And I can't imagine Jesus saying to me, dude, you can't go to her funeral. You've got to run up to Mark's ter- school and preach in chapel. I mean, that's just not logical. You know, thankfully, my board of directors said, take time off, and I was thankful for that. They let me have some time off, all right? It, 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 when you first read this response, you think, wow. What kind of answer? Jesus says, let the dead bury their dead. You know, you think, well, that doesn't even make any sense. Well, that's why we know that the young man saying, let me, let me wait until after my father's died and go bury my father, we know that can't be the real reason. Because Jesus is a good God and a loving God. He wouldn't say, let your dead father rot out in the backyard. You don't even get to bury him. That's just not the way our God works. So what it really was, was an excuse. You know what an excuse is? Write this down. I, I, didn't, I didn't make this up. I got it from somewhere else. But write this down. You can use it somewhere and take credit for it, all right? Here's an excuse. It's the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. Skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. That's what an excuse is. It looks good on the outside, but it's actually fake. That's not the real reason. We are really good at giving excuses for why we want to follow Jesus, but later. That's what this guy was really saying is, I'll follow you, Jesus, but not now. His dad, not only was his dad not dead, many scholars think his dad wasn't even sick. You know? So what he's saying is, I'll follow you, but later, some future point. We do it all the time. 
Lord, I'll follow you, but you know, I don't want to do it while I'm in college because then I can't have fun. I don't, maybe not at this school. This school fun is sanctified fun, right? Everybody say amen, all right? <laughs> not all colleges are that way, right? You know, uh, not all Christian colleges are that way, sadly. You know, we say, uh, you know, we get married and we say, well, Lord, I want to follow you, but, but after, you know, after my kids have won the baseball championship or the soccer championship or whatever, sports on Sunday morning, one of the greatest killers of the American church today, it has become an idol, and we are worshiping sports. Well, my kid's going to get a scholarship. I've seen your kid play soccer. He ain't getting no scholarship. Okay. I'm, I'm not trying to be mean, but I've just seen your kid play soccer. He is not getting one, okay? All right, so get him to church because he might get to heaven if he hears the gospel, all right? We have all these excuses for why we're going to serve you later, 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 later. And it's just the skin of a reason. It looks good on the outside. It sounds good to all of our friends at the funeral when someone says it, but stuffed inside of it is, the, is, is a lie that we know wasn't true. The Lord knew it wasn't true, and probably more people knew it wasn't true than what we realized because people can see through our excuses pretty good. So this man said, yes, Jesus, I'll serve you, but later. Look at verse 61. Uh, this man said, well, he said, I'll follow you, but I first want to say goodbye to my family, and, you know, and then I'll follow you. Now, again, it sounds reasonable, right? Uh, you know, 52% of our churches in our particular network here in New England, 52% of our churches worship in a language other than English. And so most of the people in those churches are immigrants from some other country. All right. Now, as they came to America, you would think, I would assume, that all of them probably said goodbye to their family, right? Now, maybe in some cases, some of their family came with them. It kind of depends on the situation. But there was somebody, cousins, aunts and uncles, grandparents. There was someone they had to say goodbye to. Was Jesus saying, you can't say goodbye to those people? Well, of course not. That's not logical. We know that's not the way Jesus works, right? So, so again, this was just an excuse. This was just an excuse the man was using to not follow Jesus. Probably what he was really saying was, I'll follow you if my family approves, if my family gives me the nod, if my family says it's okay, then I'll follow you. Now, I was blessed to grow up in a wonderful Christian family. My parents were great Christians. They loved the Lord. My, my mother's with the Lord now. My father's still living. He's 83, and he can't do much anymore. He can't drive. He has a lot of things he can't do. He still leads two Bible studies a week, though, on ham radio. I didn't even know you could use a ham radio. Every time I listen to a ham radio, you know what I hear? I hear... That's what I hear. It's like Donald Duck talking. But somehow my father leads two Bible studies a week at 83 because that's something he can do sitting in his chair with his little ham radio thing, and he, I don't know, does these two Bible studies every week. So I'm thankful that I grew up in a Christian home and that my parents always supported all of my crazy ideas to go off to places like Vermont and all of that stuff. Uh, I, my wife also grew up in a wonderful Christian home. Uh, I'm not sure her mother was quite as happy about us moving to Vermont, but, but they were always supportive of us. We never really had to face family opposition, and I'm thankful for that because it did make my life easier. But I know there are many of you, that's not your, your, that's not your story. Your family wish you were not in this godforsaken place in a little college up in the middle of nowhere. They wish you were at whatever, getting your pre-med degree or something, because that's what they wanted. You, you were their retirement plan, you know. Uh, some of you maybe come from homes that maybe Christ is not the Lord of that house. And you have to ask yourself, well, I follow Jesus if I'm the only one in my family that does this. I hope the answer would be yes. You'd have to answer that question for yourself. Even if your family is Christians, again, we are grow we're living now in a culture that is very much anti-Christian. You, know, you might be the only person in your workplace when you finally graduate you know, from here and you, and you go out to the world and you're trying to get your job and all that. You might be the only one there. 
uh, that doesn't look at dirty magazines in the bathroom and say curse words in the lunchroom. And people say, well, why, why is he different? Will you be the only one that will stand for Jesus? If you're the only one on your street, I live in this little apartment complex. There's 42 houses. As far as I know, there are three of us that are born again. There's a, a couple that's on one side of me that's, that's Catholic, but definitely born again Catholics. And there's a guy from the Armenian Orthodox Church that's definitely born again. And as far as I know, no one else in the complex other than me is a Christian. Uh, and you know, if there's just the three of us, three households, we want to be Christian households in this com complex and that people would know who they could go talk to when they're trying to answer questions about Jesus. And, and it's so important that we be, if we're the only one left, that we follow Jesus. We must be willing to follow Jesus even if no one else does. And we are rapidly moving to that place in American culture. Well, look what Jesus said in verse 62. I love this. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. You see, God calls us to service, and His call is not, is not reversible. We can't be in and out. Once He calls us to salvation, we are saved. You guys still believe in the perseverance of the saints, right? Amen. Good Baptist doctrine, right? Listen, once saved, always saved. Someone said once, well, I know someone who used to go to church and now they don't. Uh, all right. If they were genuinely saved, they're still saved, all right? And if they were never saved, then they're still not saved until the Lord changes their heart, right? The call of Christ to salvation is irreversible. I think the call of God to sanctification is irreversible. Now, let me clarify that before someone goes on and says, what kind of, what kind of heresy did he just say? I think once you have begun to live a holy life, if you ever begin to backslide from it, you will be so miserable that you will have to repent and come back to it. Because once you have felt the blessing of God in your life and you've tasted of the heavenly gift, it is, you're just never going to be comfortable going out and living a sinful life. And when I see someone who says, well, I've been backslidden for 40 years and I've been living like the devil for 40 years, I have to really wonder, were they really born again? Because a person who has tasted of what it means to live a sanctified life just can never be happy like that for long. They might be that way for a few weeks, maybe a few months, but boy, I, I don't know. Once you've tasted of that good, good way of living, I just think it's, it's, it's hard. It's, it's that irreversible. I think about service. Okay, once you begin to serve the Lord, you start teaching that Sunday school class. There'll be some hard weeks. You know, there'll be some weeks you're thinking, what am I doing? I've got such and such kids in my class now, and they're monsters. You'll have some hard weeks. But then you get these phone calls or text messages from someone maybe five years later, ten years later after they're out of your class telling you about how something you taught them changed their life. And you start thinking, that's why I do it. You just can't quit. Once you serve the Lord, once you start leading people to Christ, once you start doing the things that God wants you to do, you just can't quit. If it's a calling from God, you just can't quit. I even think of the call to sacrifice. You know, we, we think about the sacrifices that we make, whatever they might be. Somehow when we get all done making them, they don't feel like sacrifices anymore. They just don't. Somehow you get through it, and you get to the end of whatever season of life that you're in, and you go, you know, I don't know if that really was a sacrifice. It was so much joy, so much peace, so much satisfaction of what God was doing in your life that suddenly the sacrifice doesn't even seem like sacrifice anymore. You see, true faith says yes to the call of God. Yes to the call of God for salvation for sanctification, for service, for sacrifice. And true faith remains faithful all the way to the end. You know, when my wife was struggling with her pancreatic cancer, my wife, if you knew my wife, some of you didn't know her, but if you knew my wife, she was the quiet one. She was happy for me to do all the talking. <laughs> she was very quiet, very much of an introvert, uh, wasn't really one to talk a lot, uh, especially in a group. Now, if you get one-on-one -on -one with her, she'll say whatever, but in a group, that wasn't her thing. 
But as she began to realize that her time was drawing to an end, she found her voice. Uh, her, main, her main oncology doctor, main, main doctor that cared for her during her cancer was a Muslim. And boy, she made sure he knew about Jesus. She wanted him to know uh, that she had something different that he didn't have and had wonderful opportunities to share the gospel with him. Shortly before she died, when it was really getting difficult and we knew that her time with us was drawing to an end, she called the grandchildren all together. She shared her testimony of how she'd come to faith in Christ as a child. She pleaded with the grandchildren to trust Christ for themselves. They couldn't ride on grandma's coattails. They had to have their own experience with Christ so they could know who Christ was. She was a faithful witness all the way to the end. You say, well, that's your wife. Obviously, I'm a little biased. Yes, it was my wife. But that quiet, introverted woman set an example that I think all of us can aspire to follow. Let's say yes to the call of God. Yes to salvation. Yes to sanctification. Yes to service. And yes to sacrifice. And let's remain faithful all the way to the end. Would you bow your heads with me for a moment? I would assume, as I already said, that everyone here is a believer. If you're not, man, this is your moment. You already know how, all how to trust Christ as Savior. Man, just do it. For those that are already Christians, what is God calling you to? you got some area of your life in which you're not sanctified and you know it. You're not living the holy life God wants you to live. There in your seat, say, oh God, I know better. Lord, help me to be sanctified. Maybe God's calling you to serve. It could be in vocational ministry. It could just be in, you know, to help someone across the street do something, Lord. Would you just say, Lord, I'm going to say yes, I'm going to serve. What about sacrifice? I know it's hard to sacrifice, especially when you're young. But you'll never regret giving up something for Jesus because the reward is always better than the sacrifice. Would you stop making excuses? And would you be faithful all the way to the end? Lord, I pray that in this moment, your Holy Spirit would be present and you would seal those callings that you have put upon our life to serve, to be sanctified, to have salvation, to sacrifice. Oh, Lord, help us remain faithful all the way to the end. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.